Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. And I'm quite honored to be able to tell you my story. My walk with Christ started about 44 years ago at a Good Friday service here. I can't say the Lord hadn't spoken to me before that Good Friday in 1979, because for many years I felt drawn to the church and I felt that I needed to be there whenever I could go. As a child, I always wanted to be in a family that went to church every Sunday, but my family never did. So I had little or no knowledge of who God was or who Jesus was. My granddad would always talk about God's blessing upon us. He had come over here as an orphan on a, on a Navy ship way back in the 19, I guess it was 1913. So I felt that he knew something, but he never shared with me what it was. My best friend was a Roman Catholic, and she used to go every Friday, and she would have to make her confession to the priest. And I always loved going with her. I, I, we would, I would sneak into the church because mom always told us I wasn't allowed to go. And I love the smell of the incense and the holy water. It just seems so, re- so um, mysterious and religious to me. And we'd go, I'd go to my Protestant church, and it was just a big building with pews in it, and it kind of smelled musty sometimes, and it didn't look like a place where God dwelt at all. When I was 11, I was confirmed into the Anglican faith, as both of my parents, although they never went to church, were associated with the Church of England. When I look back at my catechism, I I saw later that the story of redemption was in there. I was just never taught it. Looking back, I can see how God was drawing me to himself in a real special way at a very early age. Only I didn't know that's what it was. Fast forward many years. My dad retired from the Navy and we we moved to Portapec. I was 11 years old at the time. I was devastated to leave the home that I'd known, to live in a small rural community and have to go to a school where all the grades were in one and it was an outside bathroom. It it was a shock to my life. But somehow the school burnt down that summer and we got sent to Bass River. Mom and dad, well dad never went, but mom decided that we would start going to the Anglican church in Bass River. It's just a little small church, it's still there, only it's a house now. And when you walked in, you had to walk the aisle, kneel, and incline your head to the cross and then go sit down. Every time we walked in, everybody turned around and looked at us. And that always made us very uncomfortable. I always felt that they were smirking at us. We weren't rich by any stretch of the imagination. So my mom looked at the church that was next door to us, which was a little united church, and she started going there for a while. As an aside, I'd like to say here that um, we need to really work hard in this fellowship to greet everybody and to show them kindness and acceptance. I I never felt accepted 
in the Anglican Church. Work really, I've worked really hard here to make sure that I know people and are kind to people. And, and the only way you can relate to people is to get to know them. So let's make sure we do that. Fast forward to 1968. I met the love of my life. I married Keith over there in Children's Church. Only it was the church back then. It would sit about 100 people. He'd given his heart to the Lord when he was a child, but had never moved on it. Like he, he was never discipled. So we were married in that building, 50, 55 years in June, actually. I look back on who I was at that time. I was not a very nice person. I have, have a choleric personality, and it got the better of me many times. I could swear like a sailor, but God still had his hand on me, even though I didn't know and, and didn't recognize um, him at all. I wanted to have people like me, and I tried hard to do many things through the course of the next few years. I created a play school and ran it for five years while Tracy was a baby. But I, couldn't, I still couldn't make people like me. I was hurt very badly by gossip. And I retreated into my home with my children and my husband and our immediate family. I learned not to show my real feelings to anyone except my friend Lindsay, and we've been really best friends for over 62 years now. Life was busy back then. I had three kids under five and a husband who was away five days a week. At one point, I told a person I knew who was a professing Christian that I felt something was missing in my life. Her answer to me was, there is, but I don't have time to talk to you about it right now. Another three or four years went by before I came to know Christ as my Savior. You know, I wonder what would have happened if I had, if she had taken the time to talk to me about that. So since then, I've made it my mission that no matter how much time it would take, that when somebody asked me a question like that, I would answer it. As my kids grew older, I felt the need to take my kids to church. They were only, there was only a handful of older ladies over in the children's church that it is now. And they weren't too pleased that I brought three bratty kids that were very outspoken and loud and didn't know how to behave in church and weren't quiet. But I persevered and I ended up teaching Sunday school. However, I only taught the Old Testament as I knew nothing about Jesus, so I couldn't teach the New Testament. Enter a new pastor. Pastor Ed Henderson came. He came up one night and he asked me if I was saved. And I'd been listening to Billy Graham a few times on the TV, so I knew, you know, that that was the, the important word. So I told him I was saved, and he believed me. Or at least I think he did. I thought I had him fooled. I taught Sunday school. I showed up in prayer meeting. I even went to prayer meeting, believe it or not. Uh, I started cleaning the church occasionally. Took my kids every Sunday. Keith never came, but I took them, and I stayed for church. I was even, even singing in the front of the church. Like um, Linda Henderson and I would do a lot of duets together. And this one um, Good Friday, I was invited to sing with her over at the Belmont Church. 
it amazes me how well we can deceive and lie to ourselves. You know, Satan's lies make sense when you're not saved. But God still had a plan for me. And even though I was a pretend Christian and thought I had made the grade, he had a plan for me. And that plan, unbeknownst to me, was going to happen that night. So Linda and I were singing the song, If That Isn't Love. And the words go like this. He, meaning Jesus, left the splendor of heaven, knowing his destiny was a lonely hill of Golgotha, where he laid down his life for me. If that isn't love, the oceans are dry, there's no stars in the sky, and the sparrows can't fly. If that isn't love, then heaven's a myth. There's no feeling like this, if that isn't love. Even in death, he remembered the thief hanging by his side. He spoke with love and compassion, then he took him to paradise. As I was singing that song, the Lord spoke to me. I knew I had not believed that message. I saw myself that night for what I was, a sinner like the thief, only unlike the thief, I never asked Christ to take me. I never saw him as the God who died for me. I thought I could save myself through good works and all the other stuff that I was doing. I really thought that before, before this happened, I really thought that, you know, there were big sinners and little sinners, and I was just a little sinner, so I didn't have to ask Christ to come into my life and be my Savior. I accepted Christ as my Savior that night. And I'd like to say that at that point, everything just became perfect. When we ask Christ to save us, we don't always immediately lose all our bad thoughts, all our bad habits, all our bad words. I felt profound relief knowing that I was God's child now, and I felt that the sense of relief that I now had in him would handle all the situations in my life. My thirst for him became like a, an unfillable well that I, I just couldn't get enough of. I became a zealot for him. I could God gave me the ability to absorb what I was reading and be able to give it back in a, in a good way. I don't know what your story is, but I can tell you that my story has many ups and downs in it. Those times were growing times for me. I spent all one summer wondering if God was real. And that was after I'd been saved for 10 years. I felt I was failing and I really didn't know what to do about it. But I went to Mount Traver to pick up the kids who had been down there. And this wonderful pastor, Pastor Jim, was there. And we got talking about other things. And I broke down and told him how I was feeling. And he listened to me. And then he said, um, well, you better go figure it out, Peggy. He said, but before you do, I'll pray for you. And I thought, oh, great. He's just going to pray. Like, that's really going to help me a lot. But I went, I went away from there with the sense that somebody else knew and was going to pray for me. And, and God oiled up the engine in my mind, and, and we scraped off the rust that Satan had put there. And I realized that the decision I'd made was the right decision, and that I was saved, and that there was a God, and that I could depend on him.
I've always found it hard to pray. I always felt, uh, especially when it comes to praying for myself, and to this day, I find it hard to pray. You know, I'm a doer, and, you know, it's, it's hard to put your, your prayer requests up to somebody you can't see. And so I'm stu- I still struggle with prayer. I felt that I should do as much as I could in the fellowship. You know, if there is a job to do, I'm your gal. I can do it. I had more stickers on me than a fridge has pictures. I ran myself ragged and was always thinking that I'd never meet the mark. And I need to say that I didn't have much joy. As I was so busy in doing, I didn't have time to enjoy what God was teaching me and showing me. It was while I was studying the book, Tired of Trying to Measure Up, Jeff Van Vonderen. It was while I was studying this book that God showed me that he'd already accepted me for who I was. Warts, wrinkles, potty mouth sometimes. And that he'd loved me before I was conceived in my mother's womb. The dropping of that feeling of trying to measure up became a turning point in my life as a Christian. By then I was saved about 12 years. See how long it took? 12 years before I really had a full grasp of what it was that God was calling me to do. I know that God has a plan for each of us. The hard part is being able to be quiet and attentive enough to hear, to hear him through all of life's little babbles. Do you know what your gift is? If you don't, come and see me at the end of, of um, the evening tonight or sometime in the near future, and we'll sit down and I'll show you how to find that out. Through the last 44 years, God has been good to me. I was a person who thought highly of herself, saw how low I really was, and then how God could use that nobody to reach others for him. My mom's salvation was one of the greatest gifts that God has given me. The day I showed her how to put her name in John 3.16 was a wonderful time for me. She accepted Christ as her Savior that day. And very shortly after that, she passed away. My dad was a horse of another color. He was a very difficult man. After many attempts to try and speak to him, while my mom was lying in the hospital in New Glasgow, he allowed me to speak to him about what I believed and what mom believed and told me I had the one hour of driving and after that I was never to bring it up to him again. And that's what we agreed on and that's what I did. Ten years later, when he passed away, the day before he passed away, he was laying in his bed singing, I'm going home to heaven to be with Francis. And I went to him and said, Daddy, what makes you think you're going home to heaven? You've never accepted Christ as your Savior. And he said, you don't know everything. I read all the tracts that Myrtle Crager sent to me and brought to me. And I realized Um, what I had to do. And God and I, Jesus and I had a talk. And I said, well, why didn't you tell me? He said, well, frankly, I didn't think it was any of your business. It was between God and, and myself. So I'm telling you this story to say this. Don't stop speaking to your loved ones about Christ. You have no idea what's going on in their heart. Because as people, man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. I like to write things down. I want to be able to pass on my Bible as a a heritage or a memory to my children and my grandchildren. 
if, if, only, if I only use my phone, I'm not, I'm not going to pass my phone on. Do you study your Bible? Do you know your Bible? Can you find verses to show others without asking Siri or Google? The Bible says, study to show yourselves approved unto God. A workman who has no need of sh to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Throughout the years, many things have come and gone in my life. But one thing I know, that God has worked a good work in me. And I owe my very existence to him. Through ups and downs of marriage, through health crises, through miscarriages, through the good times and the not so good times, he has had me. And in John 10, 29, he says, no man will pluck, him, will pluck me out of his hand. We sing a song here called The Defender. The bridge of these words are, when I thought I lost me, you knew where I found me. You reintroduced me to your love. You picked up all my pieces, put me back together. You are the defender of my heart. But this I know, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him against the day. 2 Timothy 1, verse 12. Being a mom was great, but being a grandmother is really great. I think of what is important in my life and always come back to my relationships. My walk with God being the most important one and family and friends a close second. God gave me a real special Christian friend, Carolyn Jackson, who has been there through all my ups and downs. God can and does use us no matter what season we're in. My energy levels aren't what they used to be, but I still can talk about spiritual things. I study and still love to learn, and God still has a plan for my life. I'm a softer, quieter person, I know, don't laugh, but still manage to put my foot in my mouth quite often. But I'm quick to ask for forgiveness, and I always keep confidences. I have been very blessed by looking back over my 44 years of being saved. I encourage you all to take the time to write down your, your story. You'll likely be surprised at the little things that impacted you the most as you were going through it. Thanks. Peggy, come on up. If you didn't know Peggy before tonight, you know her now, don't you? I feel like I should be running, like, what, what am I doing behind <laughs> which curtain? Come on down. I didn't know if you meant the school burning down that summer to be funny, but I think that was the <laughs> biggest laugh. I, it's kind of weird. We still don't know who did it. <laughs> I did not do it. So I, I sent some questions to Peggy. We wanted to get the best of both worlds, try and get her story and get it condensed so you could hear all the years that you mentioned, uh, but also get to hear what Peggy has to say tonight as well. So I asked her four questions from what she had to share, and the first one I really want to know. So June is 55 years, you and Keith married. That's pretty incredible, isn't it? So my first question is, how do you do it? No, I'm just kidding. But No, let me answer that. Let me answer that. I'd love to hear a truth about marriage that's been really practical to you guys. Ruth, Ruth Bell Graham said, I never thought of divorce once, but murder many times. 
However, that's good. That is good. Isn't it? Somebody give me a pen. I gotta <laughs> put that down. That's Billy Graham's. That's what got us through 55 years? I think a lot of it is we agreed in our marriage vows that we would love one another no matter what. And sometimes we forget that that no matter what is bad times along with good times. And is it an easy walk? No, it's never an easy walk. But when you've made that decision and you love somebody, you will take the bad times with the good times. And you'll compromise, and you do it because you love each other. And that's what's got us through 50, almost 55 years. And I'm sure Keith would stay the same if he was up here, maybe. We'll, we'll ask him <laughs> after, after the service. Um, you mentioned early on in your story some negative experience with church. And I wanted to ask, why, why do you think it's so important that we be, you use the term kind, show kindness to newcomers? Well, kindness wasn't shown to me when we went to the church in Bass River. When people, do you remember when you walked through that door for the first time? Mm. Do you remember, I don't know how you guys were, but... I'm sure if you've never been churched and you walk through that door, your heart's pounding, you're sweating bullets, and you're wondering if the roof's going to cave in on top of you, right? Because you've never stepped foot in church before. And when you walk through those doors, if nobody speaks to you, if nobody shows you a seat, if nobody nods their head or even makes eye contact with you, what is that saying about you? And what's it saying about us? So I think it's really important to put yourself out there. And if there's somebody you don't know, like there's a lot of people I don't know right now because man, we've just had a lot of people, um, new people coming in. Get out of your seat. Walk up to them and say, hi, my name is, what's yours? And, you know, people just want to talk. They want to be part of something. And I think that's why it's so important. We're supposed to show God's love. Yeah, I want to ask you more about those important faith conversations in a minute. But um, what I wanted to ask was, I, I loved what you said about um, when you made the decision to trust Christ after you've been in church for a while, after you've been teaching Sunday right. school and singing on the platform, which is hilarious. Um, I, I loved how you said that there wasn't this immediate change overnight. You talked about a summer of doubting God. Um, you talk about your struggle with prayer. Why do you think we try and hide those things as Christians and pretend that we have it all together? I do have it together. <laughs> I'm sorry for implying that. Should we just move on to the next question? No. <laughs> okay, okay. Why is it important? I, I think we're afraid of being judged. I think we're afraid of putting our real selves out there because if we do, people will see who we are who we really are. I wish I could get out of the light, but I know I can't. You'll never get out of the <laughs> <No>. <laughs> You know, why are we so afraid to let people in, to let them see that we're struggling? People can't help you if they don't know you're not... If they don't know that you're struggling, how are they supposed to pray for you and help you? And then we get in a turmoil because nobody cares. Well, you can't care if you don't know what you're supposed to care about. <laughs> right? So you... We really need to put ourselves out there and let people know. I struggled that whole summer, sitting on a picnic table in front of my house, crying my eyes out most of the time. Mm -hmm. 
just because I wouldn't tell anybody that I was struggling. Yeah. And it was a crisis of faith. But I am here. It wasn't my only crisis of faith. No, it hasn't been. I think we all struggle with, is it real sometimes? Or why do I feel this way? Or why is it that I can't see God's working in this and how it should be? This isn't the way I visioned it. You know, we all have those thoughts. Yeah, very good. Last question. I really appreciated what you said about finding your <laughs> spiritual gift. And uh, you talked about using your spiritual gift. You talked about some of those faith conversations. You, you are assertive enough to have the conversations that go beyond surface level and have good spiritual conversations. What, what would you say to the person tonight, and probably a lot of us could really use a prompt when it comes to having good faith conversations with people that go beyond surface level? Well, do you ever go to a hockey game? And how many go to hockey games that don't know anything about hockey? Not very many of you. Sometimes we just have to answer a whole bunch of questions because the person sitting next to us knows nothing. Knows nothing. In order to have those conversations, you don't have to know everything. You just have to be willing to put yourself out there to say, you know what, I don't know the answer to that question, but I'll find out. Mm. You, you look around and I'll look around and we'll come and see what the answer is. But the way you get the confidence to do that is by studying your word, studying God's word. Realizing that in order to pass something on, you need to know what you're talking about. If you don't know what you're talking about, how can you pass on when someone asks you a question? <laughs> like even the most basic question, like how do I get saved? You realize that's Christianese, saved. You know, how do you put God first in your life? That, that should be the question. And then we should be able to say how that's done. Mm. And the only way you can do that is the verse I, I quoted, study to show yourself approved unto God. You need to study. And I don't think you can do it on your phone. I'm really sorry about that. But I really <laughs> think you need your Bible to write in the margins. Because you can't write in the margins of your phone. But you can write in the margins of your Bible. When someone asks you a question, you can pop open that Bible. And then there's all sorts of little notes in my Bible. It's well, my third Bible. Yeah. So, so what would I say? I would say, get ready to answer questions by knowing what you're talking about. Mm. And the only way you can do that is to put yourself out there and start studying. And I know a lot of men don't like to read, so listen. You can get the ones that are the spoken, audio books. The yeah. audio books, and you can take notes. <laughs> notes. We were taught that by our yes, you were taught that, weren't you? <laughs> yes. It sounds familiar. Eugene spent a lot of times on the timeout seat. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should save that for after the service. <laughs> Thank you, Peggy. You're Thank you for answering those questions and for sharing your story. And we really appreciate it, don't we? Yeah.
Is it okay if I stay down here on the floor? I don't think I've ever spoken from down here. I'm getting a thumbs up from the back, okay. <laughs> um, I just want to quickly share three thoughts from John chapter 17. Uh, we're going to look at the Lord's table. Jason is going to lead us in that after we sing another song together. So there's more to come tonight. And I just want to take a quick moment. John chapter 17, if you have your Bible, if you brought your physical Bible... Like Peggy mentioned tonight, uh, John chapter 17. This is the longest recorded prayer of Jesus that we have in Scripture. The night that he was betrayed, before his arrest in the garden, this is the longest prayer we have recorded in the Gospels from Jesus. And I want to point out who he prayed for. He prayed for three, three groups of people. The first person he prayed for was himself and his mission. So in John chapter 17, look at verse 3. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. If you consider the fact that Jesus was king of the universe prior to being born and placed in the manger and we celebrate Christmas and his 33 years and his death on the cross, his burial and his ascension back to the presence of the Father in heaven, before the creation, before the foundation of the world, Jesus is in heaven with the Father he was sent to earth those 33 years with a specific purpose. And he says here, I accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Jesus was sent with a specific pur purpose. Look at, look at verse 6 in his prayer. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me. They have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. Jesus makes the Father known to his followers. Jesus makes the Father known to the world, to those who will listen. Through Jesus, we can know the Father's name, the Father's gifts, the Father's words. Through Jesus, we can receive the truth and we can choose to believe, and this is all made possible because of the cross that Jesus is about to go to. Jesus prays for his own followers next, the disciples. Look at, look at what he says of them, verse 11. I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. In, in Jesus' physical absence from this earth, his followers carry on his mission, his presence, and they form his body, the church. Jesus may be returning to the Father, having completed his mission, but now he passes on the mission to his followers, his followers are now tasked with carrying on his message 
by the power of the Spirit. This is the good news. This is the gospel. Good Friday doesn't seem so good. It's a difficult picture of Jesus on the cross, buried in the tomb, the broken body and the shed blood that we're going to look at. But it's good news for you and me, and it's good news for the world. The cross is hope. The cross brings peace. The cross of Jesus is our salvation. It's our glory. We glory in the cross of Jesus. It's our identity. We carry the cross of Jesus. We identify with the cross of Jesus. It's our unity. We're, we're united in the cross of Jesus above all else. And then Jesus prays further for his disciples and for his followers at that time. Verse 14, I've given them your word. The world has hated them because they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Jesus gives us God's word, God's message. He is the word made flesh. If we've received the truth of Jesus, it's now our duty to take it to the world. But the world doesn't always respond so fondly to the message of the cross, do they? The Bible says it's a stumbling block to the Jews and it's foolishness to the Gentiles. Unless the spirit softens the heart, the world hates this message. The world does not like being faced with sin and death and evil. They have no answer for it. They have no control over it. They don't understand the cross, and therefore they hate the cross. They reject the cross, and they reject those who carry the message of the cross, who identify with the cross. But Jesus says, don't take them out of the world just because the world doesn't appreciate or receive the message. They're there for a reason. Protect them in the world. Sanctify them. That sanctification means to set something apart, to set it aside for a specific purpose. Jesus says, I am sending them. Just as the Father sent me into the world to show the world his love, now I am sending my followers into the world to show the world his love, to carry on my mission and my message. But here's the part that I want to get to that is so cool about this prayer. Jesus prayed for you and for me. The night that he would be betrayed and arrested and forced through a false trial, his beard would be plucked, the thorns would be placed on his head, he'd be stripped naked, he'd be beaten, he'd be mocked and spat on, He'd be forced to carry his cross up the hill, hands and feet nailed, spear in the side, being mocked and ridiculed. As Jesus is facing his hour that he came for, the purpose that he came for, the pinnacle and the climax of the whole redemptive story, all of the Bible points to what we celebrate on Easter weekend. As Jesus is coming to this moment, this hour that he came for, he prayed for you and for me. Not just the disciples, not just the followers in that day, but the people who would believe and come to faith in the future through their message. And that's you and me. Look at the verse, verse 20. 
I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. If you've heard the message of the gospel, from the gospel of John, from the gospel of Matthew, from the testimony of the disciples, and you've come to faith, this is Jesus' prayer for you. Verse 21, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, you in me, they may be perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and you love them even as you loved me. Jesus prays for unity, that we would be one. Why, why is that so important? Why would he repeat that? Why would he illustrate that with the unity of the Trinity? Why does it matter if we get along? Why does it matter if we can serve together? Jesus says this is so critical because it's the way in which the world may come to know and believe that God loves them so much that he sent his son Jesus Christ into the world to die on the cross for their sins. What would be worth arguing about and getting in the way of that message and our unity in the cross of Christ? And the mission that he's sent us on, that he's called us out to. So here's the bottom line. And I would invite the band to come back at this point. They're going to lead in a song. And following that song, uh, Jason is going to lead us in observing the Lord's table. And that will complete our service for this Good Friday. But here's the bottom line from Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17. If we know... And have believed. The world doesn't know. And doesn't believe. As Jesus made it known to us. We need to make it known to the world. That's Jesus' prayer for his followers. His followers then. And his followers now. That we would carry his message of God's love. To the corners of the earth. That's the reason why we're here. That's the reason why we've gathered on Good Friday, is to proclaim the message of the cross of Christ, his death, burial, and his resurrection that we're going to celebrate on Sunday. Would you stand with me? We're going to pray, we're going to sing this song together, and then we're going to observe the Lord's table. God, we just want to thank you so much for Friday. And there are so many elements of Friday that seem so very bad, but it is good. We know it's good. It's very good. Because it's the price paid for our redemption to buy us back from sin and death, hell and slavery, and the chains that bind us. Your son's life given on that cross represents each one of us in this room and the lives that we should have given on that cross. But your son took our place and paid the price so that through faith we can have forgiveness of our sins. Through his resurrection we can have new life, new purpose, a calling and a mission 
And now it's our duty to take that message to the world. God, would you give us the courage, the boldness? Would you help us to be assertive in those faith conversations, Father? Thank you for what you've done for us on that cross. Help us to really reflect on that truth as we sing about your cross now. In Jesus' name, amen.